Hello, everyone. Welcome to Timeless Voyager, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. I am your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes. Now, today's guest is Dale Pond, an internationally renowned lecturer who has presented workshops and seminars at the Swiss Association for Free Energy Conference, the International Keeley Conferences, Sound and Vibration Conferences, International Symposium on New Sciences, International Forum on New Energy, United States Psychotronics Association Conference, the Alchemy of Sound Conference, Science and Consciousness Conferences, Tesla Tech Conferences, and many others. Dale is a four-time guest here on Timeless Voyager. Today, Dale and I will explore, and here's the topic, folks, you do not have to have a PhD, transforming quantum scalar potential into kinetic motion. So, welcome to the show, Dale. Well, hi, Bruce. Glad to be here again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Why don't you start, and I'll just interrupt every once in a while if I get lost or as I get lost. All right. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history on this brief paper. Um, I think it was in 96 or shortly thereafter, I, I ran across a paper by Tom Bearden about scalar potential and what the Soviets were doing with it and a little bit of what he was seeing it involved. And I didn't get anything out of it. I mean, I I could read the paper, and but I didn't get, I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I spent the next several years <clears throat> trying to figure out what he meant by scalar potential. You know, what is the scalar thing? And, um, I mean, I work hard at it. When I get a question like that, I, I'll dog on it for until I get it solved. And <clears throat> there was a lot of chit-chat about scalar this and scalar that going on in the new energy community. And it didn't seem like anybody had any idea what the term scalar meant. The, the uh, conventional definition is... A scalar is is a potential, but no vector, meaning it's just like a still, quiet, non-moving, non-active, inert uh, substance or a state or condition of, of energy that was exceedingly difficult, if impossible, to detect and measure and do anything with it. But according to Bearden, the Soviets had solved some of that, and they were actually working with it and measuring it and coming up with all kinds of stuff. They even came up with some healing devices based on it. Uh, In the meantime, I was studying Keeley like I have done for a number of years, and I was doing a lot of editing work with the Russell material, Walter Russell. And one day, a year or so ago or two years, I even forget now, um... I got it. I mean, I finally got what they were all talking about. And, I mean, it was like illumination, you know, when, when the lights go off and lights go on and all that kind of stuff. And I got real excited. And I started finding references in the Keeley material that was showing where he had been working with the scalar potential. In fact, it was the cornerstone of his later research and machine development and as that comprehension of the scalar term deepened for me I was seeing it in all of Walter Russell's work and it's all through all of his writings it's absolutely incredible he doesn't use that term actually none of them use that term they use their own terms but once you get it once you get the idea you cannot unget it. I mean, it's just, it becomes 
you start seeing it everywhere. You see it in your life. You see it in other people's writings. You see it especially in the old alchemical artworks where they draw these crazy things with lions and suns and things of that nature. That's what they were all dealing with. And you can see it in the Egyptian hieroglyphs. That's what they were dealing with. And it is a very fundamental, it is the fundamental principle in the universe that governs everything that is. It's, it's the scalar thing. In, in uh, more social terms, um, that's what uh, some of the religious people call God or Allah or whatever, because that's the source. The scalar potential is the source of all motion. And motion is is the essence of matter. Without motion, you got no matter. So it behooves us to really, really dig into the understanding of what this simple principle is. So what I just want to say at this moment, so the concept of scalar um, is a principle that everyone has basically given different names to. Yeah, they've given it different names, and because it's not something Joe Sixpack would have anything to think about. You know, he wouldn't be thinking about it. He wouldn't. There's no context. The only context we have in society, generally speaking, is the term God, or the cosmic, or the universe. And the thing I, um, it's also called the Holy Trinity in religious circles, um, it's it's an absolutely fabulous concept because once you see it, it changes your life. Hmm. And the idea that we could actually engineer this concept into practical applications is extraordinary. It's not just, a, I've since discovered that it's not just a single um, it's hard to talk about because we don't normally think in these terms, so we don't really have a good vocabulary, which probably explains why everybody uses a different term for it, in part. And so this paper um, is trying to speak in the simplest terms possible to describe this principle. And it's a three-part principle, by the way. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I've seen my struggle over these years to, to get this, to grok it, to understand what this thing is that Keeley engineered into all his machines and Russell spent years writing about. And um, Tom Bearden keeps talking the way he's talking about the Soviets doing this, that, and the other thing. And, and all the presentations he gave us about this subject. But because he dealt in the high-end engineering world, that's the jargon that he uses. And how many, how many of us have been exposed to that world and that jargon? So it's been a big job to um, translate or, or come up with lists of synonyms for these that the different people are using to describe the same phenomena. And I think I've done that pretty well if and only if people reading this paper go read the links that are supplied. Because like I said, I tried to condense it to the simplest possible way that I could explain it. But you need the background, and those links will take you to the background information. Well, let me ask you another question. Um, if people are interested in this, uh, how would they find this paper? <laughs> well, I've been publishing it on Facebook quite a bit, and I think I posted a day or two ago on LinkedIn, and um, it's on the SVP Wiki. Okay, I have that listed here. Of course, there's 14,000 pages. How are you going to find that? So uh, <laughs> that, that's a good point. You know, how do I get the word out that this paper is available and it's free and you can download it and study it and quote it and all that stuff? Um, maybe we can put the link up here on, on this uh, presentation before we're done with it. And specific about my vocabulary because we're trying to gain better understanding. So I'm always 
hacking at the definitions. You know, without the definitions, we're in, we're, what do they call that when they made the Tower of Babel and everybody all of a sudden couldn't talk to each other? Well, that's where we're at now. We can't really talk to each other. And there's a, there's a phenomenon in society that people will use buzzwords. Even though they don't understand what they are, it's, it's a popular word. Everybody, you know, gets excited when they hear the words, so they use these words. But if you ask them for a definition, they don't have one. <laughs> so that's been my biggest motivation in all the work I've been doing is all these people talking about the same thing. Well, but they're talking different languages. We can't talk to each other. So uh, if you're not talking, if, if if you're using all of these different terms then people don't know that they're talking about the same thing. Right. And then conversations go nowhere because nobody knows what they're talking about. I mean, how bizarre is that? <laughs> so give us an example of a pragmatic use of what you're talking about that the average person could understand. Me, I'm the average guy. Um You've heard the term tapping zero point. Okay, so there's one, zero point, which, what's the definition according to you? Because uh, people, a lot of people are going to say free energy. Yeah, same, that's a synonym. That's a good synonym. Um, health. Okay, but let's, health. Let's, let's, stick, let's stick with free energy for a second, not because I'm against health, but it's like <laughs> just to keep it, to keep this thing focused. So... Free energy is a lot different, let's say, from having an electric car, because the car's not free, the battery's not free, the way that you um, have fuel for that thing is not free. True. If you have a car that's running on a zero-point fuel, let's say, it is, okay, it, it is essentially free. Is that correct? Well, the energy's free. Yeah, the energy's free. The car the might not be the, the mechanism to utilize that energy source is not going to be free because we got to mine the metals to make the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. But how yeah. it runs, if you had zero point, I don't know what it would be. If, if you, you had, had zero, a zero point, I don't know, engine or source or whatever it is that runs it, then it would run as long as the thing was able to run, it would run for, for essentially free. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah. The source. That, that's basically what people understand is free energy. Okay. You know, if we had a little gizmo, you might call it free energy gizmo, it would power that vehicle and run it until the, the parts started breaking down, you know, and you replace parts. So the, buying the car and maintaining the car will cost you something, of course. But the energy to energize the machine would not cost anything other than the cost of the gizmo. And, you know, you could take it and plug your house into it or plug your car into it or plug it, plug your factory into it. So it would, uh, it would give people autonomy. You know, you don't need to know where all the gas stations are, the charging stations are. You could just drive until you cars start falling apart and that would present quite a bit of benefit to society as a whole and um, you know free energy now we know that this would have a major effect on capitalism as we know it but if people could let go of that it would also affect pollution I don't. I guess I could go through the, all of the the positive sides of this. So, if someone yeah. really, if people were really interested in the idea of cleaning up the environment and living a more positive existence, let's say, and could let go of capitalism in their mind for a moment, this would be a miraculous change in the world. It would. It would. Uh, it would change pretty much everything going on in the world today, and um, because of that, it would be uh, what they call disruptive. It would be a disruptive technology, and it's which is one of the reasons they haven't brought it out 
because they've got all these industries like petroleum industry from drilling making all the machines to do the drills and create the pipes and the pumps and the whole nine yards to do that that's a big industry and if and when all that would disappear if there was a practical or when there's a practical um, energy source and is this is this i I realize i'm i don't want to get off away from what you were talking about but i just wanted to give people something to hold on to here when tesla came up with that tower that he created there in um in colorado and he was being funded uh i just lost who was funding him but whoever it was was jp morgan no is is that right supposedly yeah it was jp morgan was funding him and he basically said to tesla i think something like this how do we make money on this <laughs> and tesla said there is no way to make money on it and so then as i re- as i recall uh jp morgan shut it down <laughs> the yeah. reason i'm saying that is because people need to understand that this what we're talking about first of all it's not new it's it just new. has new names this go this can go back as far as we can go in history it's been i mean it's always been there it's just like air well if we don't have any air then we're not here to talk about whether we had air or not because we're not here <laughs> there's no way to breathe so we don't exist so this and i keep using the term free energy but zero point has existed and many many people have talked about it which i think you're going to talk about a little bit now so i want to lead you into that so the people that have been talking about this are go ahead um well let's talk let's kind of stay as focused as we can on this sure because we could get so we could spend the rest of our lives talking about it but let's look a little bit about this principle to see if we can't help people have the um the flash of insight that woke me up to it and the world needs it because without this as you hinted at we're destroying ourselves not just because of the pollution that's probably a small thing the the big thing is um we're trying to use the newtonian approach to life which means materialistic approach and there's so many problems with that from engineering to science to psychology to sociology it we're destroying ourselves because we don't understand what this scalar potential is and what how important it is to us i mean it is the most important thing that science has ever come up with in my opinion other people can have different opinions and you know what opinions are worth so there's this uh, energy state or state of energy extent throughout the universe it's in every cubic centimeter every microscopic dot in the universe is this scalar state and um people knew it was around them but like i said you can't see it or you can't measure it but just by living your life you, you come to the idea that you know there's something going on around here and i'm not sure what it is but it's pretty cool and the brainiacs of the, of the of our history have attacked it and and with everything they had to put put to it and the alchemists it seems like knew all about it because their artwork expresses this thing and when we get done with this interview if you like i'll send you some of those specific pieces of artwork um but I didn't see it in the, that artwork until I began to understand what it was, and then I started seeing it. <laughs> yeah, send, yeah, send it to me. I will post it in our in, uh, <laughs> post-production so people will see it, and you can talk about it right now, and I'll, I'll have it up there. They can see the pictures. 
because that artwork shows that some of these people knew what that was and they knew how to um, apply it through chemistry or whatever mechanism they were applying it to. The symbolism was just a way of conveying the ideas of what they were doing. And if you use those same ideas and go back and look at some of the ancient structures with carvings on them, like the Egyptian hieroglyphs, well, there it is. You see it right there in the hieroglyphs. But like I said, until you get an idea what this, the meaning of these points, which I'm going to discuss, you can't see it. Well, I never saw it. You know, they were all interesting because, you know, 5,000 years ago, somebody carved this piece of rock and it looks cool, but we didn't know what it meant. And um, so this scalar state permeates everything because all things have their origin from this state. It's tough to talk about because we don't usually talk about these things. So we haven't developed the, the vocabulary and the conversation and the themes and the concepts and ideas. So it makes it, maybe that's why it took me so long to get it. You know, I was really staring at it for decades and I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. Um, first, there's a scalar state, which is this pure potential sitting everywhere unlimited power, unlimited creativity, and it's all linked together because it's all just one big potential throughout the universe. So if you touch it here, you see an effect over there, et cetera, et cetera, what they're calling, uh, what they're hinting at with the quantum entanglement conversation. What the musicians have discovered uh, was this thing, thing called sympathetic vibration, and they developed instruments with uh, sympathetic strings and and whatnot and Keeley's entire physics is based on sympathetic association sympathetic vibration sympathetic oscillation and that's kind of how we tap the scalar state the demonstration we're talking about today is resonance what happens when an object is forced to vibrate at its natural frequency this tuning fork has a natural frequency of 256 hertz, and this tuning fork is adjustable. Right now, it's set to 256 hertz as well. When I hit this tuning fork and point the boxes at each other, the sound waves from this tuning fork will cause this box to vibrate. When that box vibrates, it makes the tuning fork vibrate. So when I do this, I'm gonna hit this tuning fork but you can still hear it vibrating. A lot of times people think it's the original tuning fork still making noise, but it's the other one. What's happening is the sound waves from this tuning fork are actually causing the paired tuning fork to vibrate. Um, in religious terminology, we would say uh, that God was a was the scalar state and we disrupt that unit um, monolithic state when we pray to or at God that disturbs that scalar state and if we don't screw it all up we get back from that scalar state what we ask for well that's kind of the whole thing in a nutshell but uh, those terms aren't good enough for science so wait, wait. I, wait, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, although it'll sound like it. That's very interesting because there is a term in in, um, in Sanskrit, Ritambara Pragya, which means the word or the thought becomes manifest. That's exactly it. Keely, Keely built these machines, which nobody had any idea how they worked. And he could go, he could draw a symbol on the wall with a piece of chalk and the machine across the room would start. Yeah, we've so, talked about this in one of the last yeah, shows. Yeah, well, 
and I asked you, I asked you this question. Does the okay? And I'll, I'll ask it now again. Does yeah. the machine see it, or how does it know that that symbol on the wall is meant to have it turn on? That's my question. Well, the machine is basically oblivious to, to the symbol written on the wall. What activated the machine was Keeley's thought that he held as he drew the symbol. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, the scalar state is what Keeley called an interetheric state. And it's all mind. It's, uh, I mean, yes, SVP Wiki is filled with these uh, references to the mind as, as the essence of the universe. And Keeley tried to take all his metaphysical terms, religious terms, and create his own singular vocabulary. So when he uses the term inner etheric, he's talking about this higher etheric mind force. People call it spirit. Uh, people call it God. All sorts of things. That's why it's important to, de to determine a, a vocabulary that we can all use. Um, most people won't change their vocabularies because they're, you know, but um, so mind can disturb your thoughts, can disturb the scalar state. Keeley called it equilibrium, or he called it the latent state. And Russell had a whole bunch of synonyms for this state, he, uh, white light or the void or vacuum all these things are pretty much the same thing um i've got a list of i don't know dozens and dozens of synonyms for this scalar state and all those terms basically mean the same thing refer to the same thing within their context you have to read those synonyms which are all linked throughout the s3p wiki so that you can, we even got a list of the, of the synonyms. So you can get on this list and, and click on a term and go read about what those original people said about it. Not my interpretation, it's what they said. And you begin, or after fashion, you'll begin to get a glimmer of what this thing is all about. And because it's so new to us, it takes a while. For that to settle in and get into your subconscious and and start to oh well that's what this meant type of deal you know so that's the whole thing in a nutshell we can we're going to talk all around it but the nutshell is you got the scalar state and you disturb the scalar state in unique ways and you get an effect back so if you want energy back it'll give you energy back if you want uh, ideas for creating a, a painting of a piece of canvas, you'll get an idea for painting the canvas. If you want to get motion, you get motion out of it. And um, so that's real entanglement. That's real entanglement. <clears throat> it, so we're talking about consciousness, which is ubiquitous. <laughs> I, I want to sound intelligent, but anyway. <laughs> So the, the point is, though, and it's an important point, uh, when I have disagreements with people about, let's say, planetary systems, and they think of planets as these lumps of mud that don't know anything and don't do anything, they just are up there spinning around for nobody knows why, and the Earth is also one of them, and then all of a sudden then they talk about intelligence, which, quote-unquote, seems to be, or at least they say, is separate. That's what separates us from everything else. <laughs> when in reality, that's not actually true. Nothing is separate. Everything is communicating. And so that's why this would work, just the way you said it. Am I right on that? Or if I'm not, I'm okay. I'll be. Well, it's okay. If you disagree, it's all right. Every, every material thing has its origin from this scalar state. And that includes planets. And that includes you, your consciousness, and your body. You know, your parents had this idea about having a kid, you know. 
so you were born. This sounds so ridiculous. I know what it sounds like, you know, but once you see it, oh man, your whole world changes because then you see, you start seeing how the events and things and actions around you occur that because of some thought caused them. Like we're talking right now, we had this idea to talk, so now we're talking. And um, the dinosphere, the, the machine that I made, replicate, replicating one of Keeley's countless inventions. Now, now that I've seen him scale of state, I see what he did. This this dinosphere is is first an artificial scalar state built into the center of it, and then. By the way, we tune the different resonators on it. We're disturbing that scalar state in a particular way so that it will create motion, mechanical motion. And that's what his machines were. He was exploring a scalar state, which he called uh, equilibrium. And, and again, once I started seeing what he was doing, I started identifying it in the literature, which I had read it for decades. But all of a sudden now I see what he was saying. He was creating artificial scalar states or zero point states or God in a little tiny place that he could he could disturb it in particular ways. Um, Bearden called that disturbing this, uh, he called it tickling the Dirac Sea. That's the way he's, he, he, the terms he uses are kind of scientifically known and a scientific community has that literature, and they can go look it up and see what he's really what he was talking about. Um, Keeley call it disturbing equilibrium, and um, <laughs> the religious people over the years called it praying. So you pray in a particular way. So you're disturbing the stillness, or God, or equilibrium or the balance point or the zero point or the tipping point. Like I said, there's dozens and dozens of synonyms for this thing. And everything has this center point. Keeley called the center point uh, a neutral center because it was neutral and then it was just sitting there. It wasn't doing anything, just a scalar potential. And he could disturb that neutral center and cause it to do different things. And that's what uh, the last 10, 20 years of his life was dedicated to was how does he create an artificial scalar state or potential or neutral center as he was calling it. And then what does he have to do to disturb it to get the things he wants from it? Today we call that tapping zero point. And um, I don't know what else to say because I know what I see. I know what I understand now about this. Um, I wrote this paper, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago, and I published it on Facebook and a few other places and sent it out to certain people I know who might appreciate it. So maybe several thousand people have seen it already. Maybe not, you know, Facebook's all screwed up, but... Um, in all this time, I've only had one person, one person, say anything about this paper, good, bad, or otherwise. <laughs> and it has to be a very intelligent person who's, I mean, I admire this person. Well, you remember the story about Fulton when he, <laughs> when he had the steamboat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, or when they presented... Uh, I'm going to say it's just the point yeah. I made, of course, yeah. is people are not necessarily ready for things when you present them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. See, and I don't know how to talk to your audience right now. <laughs> Neither do I. And it's my own. It's. <laughs> own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it's coming from. What do I need to say to help them understand? Because I don't know where their understanding is right now. I can only presume 
they have none. That's kind okay. of a statement, but you know. no, no, that's that's fine because that was the point of this show today. In my yeah. in my world, what I was trying to do was expose everyone, including me, to this concept. But in the beginning of the show, I used the term scalar wave, which I've been corrected a few times. I didn't know why. Now I was corrected, and this time I understand why, because you actually told me why. So what people, I think, are learning, hopefully if they watch the show this far, is many people have heard the term zero point, and it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> Just like me, my eyes glaze, glaze over, and I think, hey, what? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> well, it's like me when I saw the Bearden paper on scalar potential and all this, and what the heck was that? And it took years of digging diligently hard yeah. to, to begin to get a, you know, I read the standard definition of scalar, and, it, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. And it took, it just took a while to, to learn that concept. And then it took even longer to start seeing it in, in operation, you know, seeing it in reality. And then I wish, if I only had one message to give to the world, it'd be this one. I think that's a pretty big message. <laughs> if I could get them, you know, anybody. Yeah. This one one person was, uh, I don't know if they fully grasped it, but, she, but uh, they work on it. And, you know, there's a response. I can respond to responses. But to respond to quiet, nobody's saying anything. I mean, nobody. Just this one person. And, uh, well, two people. There's two people. Okay, I got that wrong. Well, even two. Is <laughs> very helpful? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. We're making, well, we're look, making progress. <laughs> no, we are. We are. So that, that's, that's the purpose of today's program. I mean, I have seen many, many podcasts where after an hour, I have no clue as to what they've been talking about. I mm -hmm. don't think this is going to be one of them. And that was my purpose today. I feel like we have already uh, accomplished that. But there's more. So, oh, yeah. okay. So now look, in your paper... and. <laughs> I've only gone down five pages <laughs> because I am like everybody else. I was, I didn't even think that it was important to click on all of your links. And you said it. I heard what you said. <laughs> click on the links and the links are going to start educating you. Now, I know there's a small group of people that will do that. But that's better than no people doing it. Well, it gives them an opportunity. It gives everybody an opportunity. If they don't take advantage of the opportunity, what I did my duty. Right. You know, I put it here. It is. If you want to go study it, there's no skin off my nose. You know, it's, it's your life. You build it the way you want. My purpose in life was to put this thing together. And it's taken nearly a lifetime to do it. Those who profess to be interested in new energy or free energy or health and happiness or whatever owe it to themselves to at least read the material. And I'll say this right up front. You're not going to understand the material. It took me years to start to understand the material. But let me just I'm interrupt sure. you. Let me interrupt for a second. Yeah, okay. There are plenty of people who are have been inundated with hundreds, maybe thousands of religions. And the religions basically are very similar, except for specific people that are spoken about in the religion. So there's an overall, um, what am I going to call it? A thread. There's a thread. Now, most people do not know what the thread is. But they do know the names of all these people, which become the names of the particular religions and the, you know, let's, you know, we, I don't have to go through all that. <clears throat> so, this is the same. 
Here it is. The same thing with a different word, scalar, under the guise of science, it's kind of religion or whatever, philosophy, it doesn't matter. So here we have, now we have a new thread, scalar, and everybody says, why do I want to know that? And you have to say to them, I assume, well, you already know it. You're operating that way. There's no way to operate without it. That's why yeah, I always go back, that's why I always go back to the Vedic scriptures. You know, I'm stuck in the Vedas. I'm stuck in the Brahma Sutras, the the Upanishads. Well, you know, it's not like there's anything different there. It's just different words again. But it's the stuff that you're talking about. Um, science says you know, material, materialistic science, and there is sacred science, which is different. The materialistic science, which is, the, you know, what we encounter all the time, they say there's no connection between science and spirituality or science and religion or science and philosophy. And, and I'm here to tell all those people that that's a complete, total bullshit concept because scalar is a scientific physics term. It's not a religious term, it's not a spiritual term, it's a scientific term. That if, when you apply the meaning of that term, it's the same thing as God. It's that we've got all these connotations attached and these prohibitions. Oh, I'm a scientist, I can't look at you guys, I can't talk to you, you know, get lost. And religious people over here saying, well, you guys are nuts, you know, you're not connecting. So... It's not that they're not connected. It's that they are totally connected. It's the applications that materialistic science is pursuing because lots of money in that. So they're all pursuing the money. They're not really pursuing the truth. And uh, they'll also say that, too. We're not here to find the truth. We're here to find ways of making more money. And um, religious people are just the opposite. You know, we're, we're looking for the truth, and we don't give a damn about application. So they will come together. They are coming together. That's why we're sitting here talking, because I found the connecting link to connect all the stuff together. And if you look at it with an open mind, common sense, your feet on the ground, and you, you set everything you think you know aside for the moment and look at this, I mean, really, really look, as in scientific observation, you'll see that it's absolutely correct. It's not that the concept is wrong, it's that you don't have the full concept in your mind. And most people can't get there. You know, they are stuck in their dogma and their doctrine and their peer pressure and all that kind of crap. So they won't, you know, we'll have to wait for them to die out, whether the new people who do have consciousness can see because they're not being beat over the head because they're looking, right? <laughs> it's really crazy. And now, um, now so just, again, a, just, me, just, okay. I'll reiterate the principle here. There's a scalar state, which we don't, we'll probably never fully understand its essence. What's the essence of the mind of God? Or what's the essence of the state from which we can drive pretty much anything we want because everything comes from that state. So everything we may ever conceive of wanting is already in there. All we got to figure out is how to call it forth. So you got the you got the the uh, neutral center or this zero point or this void or this fulcrum as Russell uses that term a lot. We have that state and the disturbance of it, which then manifests primarily or first, if, if we take this in steps and stages, as a polar state, it creates a polar state. So the non-polar state creates two polar states, positive and negative, male, female, whichever you want to call it. And from the activity of those two working together, like... Um, 
the overtone series, they start mixing and adding and subtracting, and they start creating multitudes of everything. So depending on the influence of a given idea or point, I want motion. You, it, they will combine, et cetera, et cetera, until they create the motion. Or they'll combine together and create uh, heat or pressure or gravity or whatever, anti-gravity, whatever we want. And that's the point. I think that's about as concise as I can condense it. The how is going to be a whole other thing. I mean, it's like we know there's this continent across the ocean, but, you know, what's over there? Oak trees and pine trees and, and a bunch of people running around and all this plethora of animal life and minerals and everything. We can't see that part yet. We have to. First, acknowledge that there is you know, a country over the sea, the sea here being our misbelief or disbelief. Once we cross that, then we can start deriving ways to apply this principle for ourselves, for our own use. You know, it's all given to us free. We just need to know how to ask. Put it that way. Well, I was going to say uh, just to go back to my thought for a moment was that the part of this that is so interesting to me is that whether you believe in it don't believe in it think it's silly think it's amazing <laughs> it's still that it's there you know in in the uh rama sutras the the term always comes up you know I am that, thou art that, all this is that. I mean, that's what this is. You can't even get away from it. If you're arguing about it, if you say, no, it's not true, it's embedded inside it. There's no way away from it. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. So, you know, last, last thing I wanted to ask you, though, uh, if you have any information, Maybe not specific information, but just maybe a thought about it. What do you think is going on in the CERN project? Because I would assume <laughs> that's what they're doing right now, but maybe not. Your thoughts? That's not what they're doing. Um, I don't know what they're doing, but it's not that because CERN is a, is a Newtonian materialistic approach to the quantum world. But the quantum world is part of this that's all i'm saying yeah but they're looking at at the material world as the source okay of the quantum world and it's absolutely reversed it's our they should be exploring the human mind or brain mind and brain are two different things by the way but, so consciousness basically consciousness yeah they should be ex exploring consciousness they would make far more pro all that money they blew over there digging a hole in the ground and burying all that crap <laughs> oh my god you know that one hundredth one millionth of that would break this thing wide open <laughs> but no they're they're right and everybody else is wrong so they're gonna keep plowing money into it and and hot fusion all that kind of crap you know it's 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 they're trying to apply Newtonian concepts to non-Newtonian goals or objectives. And, you know, you can't buy them because that's where we are, where we think we are and where we're, we're starting from. And that's the tools we got to work with. You know, we got a toolbox that we use to do what we're doing. And you need a new toolbox, guys. You need a bigger toolbox and you need to fill up with these non-Newtonian tools which are the concepts I'm trying to talk about here, to build anything that's non-Newtonian. I mean, you know, I got a workshop downstairs filled with tools specific to building dinosaurs. Now, I'm going to put, I just want you to know, I'm going to put some pictures of the dinosphere up right now. Okay. And you and you can talk about it, and then that'll, you'll see that in post-production. Yeah. And to finish my concept here, my older brother was in the helicopter business all his life. And you go into his workshop, and 
every tool in there was devoted, designed for, acquired for the purpose of building and maintaining helicopters. If you drove your car in there to get the engine fixed, he's going to tell you to get the hell out because he doesn't have the tools to work on it. But if you pulled in a helicopter, oh, he could tear it right down and put it back together. No sweat. So we all need these different kind of, I'm trying to give everybody a new toolbox and with new tools in it. If we're going to build a new anything, we're going to, we're going to need new tools. I mean, that's how mankind builds the world around it. Everybody's got their different toolbox, different carpenter toolbox, a plumbing toolbox, an electrical toolbox. And I'm trying to supply people with a scalar toolbox. Now that we know what it is and we know what function it performs, we just don't know how. I mean, we haven't got all the details yet. Um, Bearden talks about how the Soviets were figuring out those details where they could tickle the Dirac C to get this healing device. They come up with a second healing device. They tickle it in a different way to get that particular healing facility. And, um, you know, your life, you created your life with your thoughts. You disturbed the, no the void to get the things you want in your life. And same thing I did. So everybody's got their own toolbox for dealing with this scalar potential or mind force or the cosmic universe or God or whatever you want to call it in your particular context. But it's all the same principle. And this is the basic principle. And if you read that paper and you, you know, I spent years trying to figure out Bearden's 1996 paper. I hope I've put this thing together in such a way it doesn't take others years to figure it out. All right, we have we have some time, but um, at the same time, we don't need to beat a dead horse here. <laughs> the bottom line is that from my point of view, you have provided people with, as, as, as Jesus said, the new wineskins. He has that very interesting parable where he says, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin. You put it in a new wineskin because that is where you put it. That's yeah. My... yeah, that's a pretty good parable pretty good uh, metaphor or whatever and um, yeah we can't march into the scale of engineering with our old knowledge base I mean they don't work I mean you know if you're if if you grew up making Conestoga wagons and you spent your lifetime building them and then all of a sudden Tesla transported you to 1960 automobile factory you'd be useless you couldn't do anything you wouldn't recognize any tools you wouldn't know how to use them you don't understand the product you're trying to produce except they got four wheels like your wagon had four wheels and that's about the only thing common to them and so we're busting out of this old newtonian mechanical approach to science you're gonna need a new vocabulary that's all there is to it. You got to learn these new words and you got to learn what they mean, what the creators of those terms meant when they created those terms, not what you think they mean. And it takes time. You're not going to get it overnight. I don't care how smart you are. You can have 200 IQ and you forget it. You just got to learn the terms on their terms and then it's going to start to make sense. All right, Dale. I, you know, I can't help you. That's <laughs> we did a great job today. So, this is one of the most difficult um, subjects that a person can talk about. And I appreciate you tackling this today. I feel like I got a lot out of it. And I, and I, I hope that the uh, people who've been watching today also had a chance to listen to this because it was, I think, excellent. So I thank you very much. Well, thank you for those comments. Very much appreciated. So now we got three. <laughs> making progress. <laughs> Just moving right along here, making progress. 
All right. For the rest of you, thank you for watching and listening to the Timeless Voyager series podcast on video players like uh, YouTube and audio players like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many, many more. One thing you can do to support the growth of Timeless Voyager is to hit that like button, share, comment. Comments are really important. And please, please subscribe. It really helps to keep the podcast on the internet so that I can keep producing content like the program you've just watched and or listened to. Also, there are very, very important uh, algorithmic triggers that help Timeless Voyager grow. And those triggers come from subscribing and commenting and liking. And remember, there's no obligation, and uh, the actions are free. My name is Bruce Stephen Holmes, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.